everyone, Mandy Friedman here, licensed professional clinical counselor, clinically certified domestic violence counselor, clinically certified trauma professional level two, and the owner of Claremont Health, creator of SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. This is the introduction to a series that I've been working on for a little while now. I'm still working on it to a large degree, but we're going to do an introduction video here where we talk about the series Succession on HBO. And what I'm going to do in this series is apply our knowledge about abusive relationships, abusive personalities, and abusive systems. Um, we're going to take that information and apply it to the show Succession. And I have with me my brother, Andrew. Andrew is a really super smart, funny guy who watches a lot of TV just like I do. So he gets into stuff and um, we like to text a lot about what we're watching and uh, something we really enjoy. And also, Andrew has experience as a broadcaster and has been successful with a couple of podcasts that he has out there. And so I thought he would be the perfect person to help me record some of these episodes. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about Succession. Um, you know, my background with the show is I've seen it one time at your recommendation. And, you know, I, I believe that I zip through a couple of the seasons pretty quickly. So it's going to be fun to get into it a little more, you know, uh, down to the minute details and to see uh, some of these systems, as you mentioned, uh, come alive on the screen because, my goodness, this uh, show is ripe with um, abuse of every kind, and uh, it's constant, and it's almost uh, almost easy to find <laughs> in the show, so it should be fun to talk about. I thought so, too. It was it, lots of examples. I'm like, there's this, there's that, pointing right at it. But the other thing I like about it is because the family, are they're billionaires, right? They're so uber, super, filthy, disgusting, rich, that in a way, it makes it unrealistic for the audience. Often, survivors of abuse or people that are interested in this topic become triggered by things that they see on television. Um, that if if something a program you're watching a program I'm so old a program <laughs> seventy um, anyway uh, but shows that we watch sometimes when they're too realistic for survivors of abuse or survivors of um, violence for example you know you're watching a show and it's just too real it reminds you too much of real life well. I feel like succession allows us to approach these topics from a safe distance <laughs> because I mean, the yacht, I mean, just the yacht, for example, I mean, all the ridiculous rich things that the rich people do, I can't identify with that in any way, shape or form. So somehow it makes it easier to approach the topics um, and remain sort of like emotionally distant from it. Do I think you, you're right. you know yes. Because if, you know, if you're involved in something and you're too close to it, it's difficult to get outside of it to see it, obviously. Um, in this situation, all of the characters just about are completely irredeemable and they all abuse each other. So it's not difficult to judge them. And uh, I don't feel guilty for doing it at all. And so I think that's a big part of why this is a good example, you know, or a good show to show many examples of abuse and, and how, uh, you know, the ins and outs of all those things. 
Exactly, exactly. We don't feel so bad because <laughs> they're pretty horrible people. They're pretty, yes. pretty terrible people. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start off by reading something. I wrote this as I was watching it and I'm trying, you know, while I was um, putting this together, I'm trying to figure out how to present this um, to our audience and what you can sort of expect from us as we present the material. There's going to be like 30 episodes here. How we're going to do it is we're going to do it based on the character and the season. So we'll have one, one episode that's all the one character for one entire season. And we'll walk through the season for that character. So we're really focusing on the character development of each individual. But then we have two groups that we're going to examine. We're going to examine what I call the sharks. So the sharks are the players that are um, you know, maybe the executives, maybe um, some of the people that they're trying to negotiate with for corporate takeovers. So we have that will be its own episode as well. So we'll have the shark season one, the shark season two, as that group continues to morph, change and progress. But then we also have a group we're just going to call group dynamics. And that could be family dynamics or the corporate dynamics because they kind of blend together and on top of each other. So we'll have uh, that systemic view as well um, on top of the individual views of each of the characters. We're going to do the main characters. That would be the siblings. We have Kendall, Siobhan, uh, we have Col or, um, Connor, um, and we have Roman. Um, and then we have, of course, um, who else? Logan Roy is uh, probably the main character of the show in a lot of ways, too, right? Well, I am. Putting, yeah, well, I'm going to keep Logan in the dynamics. And then, too, I was going to have some special episodes. For example, I'd love to do a special episode just on, spoiler alert, the death of Logan and the funeral of Logan and what was said by each of the people that stand up and how that whole, that one episode, how it all plays out. Then there's Siobhan's wedding. That was fantastic. I would love to also do an episode just on that. Um, Cause that's when we really meet their mom. Um, and we see, oh my gosh, here's a whole other version of an abuser, <laughs> you know, perfect, just absolutely wonderful. But then we have Rava. And I think Rava is a special exception to the rest of the characters. Rava is Kendall's ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife, depending on, you know, where you're watching. And Rava has a way of navigating and handling Kendall that actually kind of works. And so I wanted to use that as an example for our listeners and watchers as well, because Rava does a great job of, you know, not engaging in conflict with Kendall as much as possible. Um, so that's how it's going to be structured. We're going to focus on the characters based on the season. We're going to watch the character development, but we're going to use an overlay of my SNAP program, which is an educational recovery program for survivors of abuse. And again, it's survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. And within this program, we have these lists of common features. You have common features of abusive personalities. You have common features of targets of abuse, common features of abusive relationships. And I'm taking those common features and I'm using that as a lens through which to watch the dynamics of the show. 
Um, so I'm just going to read a couple, like a page here of some of my thoughts that we're getting started. Um, and then we're going to go through some of the list of what I see as being themes uh, that we can see throughout the show, um, through all four seasons. But so what we're watching is a competitive culture of malevolent creativity. Words are meaningless and they never match actions. Frequently, characters are saying one thing while doing the opposite in that very moment with witnesses. <laughs> like, control your emotions. Does that sound familiar? Right? So someone's screaming at you to control your emotions while they're, le right? With witnesses. These are the kinds of things that we're watching as these major contradictions and major hypocritical things that are going on. And we're, everyone's watching going, what? Um <laughs> So the truth means nothing. The truth is like actually the biggest threat of all. The truth is something that we need to avoid because with narcissistic personalities and abusive people, manipulative people, the truth anchors us in a narrative that we can all agree on. You know, we, we agree that this is the truth. Well, that means that you're taking away that malevolent creativity factor that, you know, for example, um, alternative facts. Right. That phrase alone right there. Alternative facts. Where did that come from? <laughs> Narcissistic abusers. Right. That's where that originated from is people that are trying to shift the narrative and say there are no facts. Everything's open for debate. Do you see that on the show, too, as you watch yes, it? Constantly. You know, it's a constant thing that happens. Um, and uh, I think that all of the characters do it to each other. For the most part with very few exceptions in different degrees and in different ways and uh that's going to be kind of the fun thing is sorting out some of these things because one interaction on the show that is 30 seconds long may contain six to ten different versions of abuse all weaved together um that are actually laying the ground of for yet another layer of abuse that's coming later <laughs> it's, it's it's a little complicated but in a good way, uh, you know, and, and I enjoy that part of the show. You nailed it just now when you said that. You're absolutely right. Within 30 seconds, we can see six different forms. And then with also the whole plan of where we're headed with that. And yeah, it's just, mm, I gobble it up. I, yeah. Okay. So it's all about appearances, right? It's all about what things look like from the outside. Um, and keep in mind that toxic family toxic family systems are very much cult-like. Um, and you can see with these characters how difficult it is for them to leave the cult. You know, they, they really can't leave the cult. Um, there's very much, um, you'll see these different conversations from time to time where somebody might suggest, like, to Kendall. So why not just leave you know why not just go off and do your own thing you're rich why do you stick around for this abuse um well because abusive relationships and abusive systems have a way of keeping people stuck in them including up here you know um if it's your family then you're definitely going to stick around a whole lot longer for mistreatment because you only have one family and if your family is a rich famous family you certainly want to be a part of that right um, it's, it, it's interesting because leaving the cult isn't even an option. There's only one option to Kendall in particular, and that's leading the cult, 
right? That's like what he wants to do because that's the only option that he sees as a possibility. Um, and he'll do anything to get to that, even though he doesn't even want it. <laughs> right. And he even says a couple of times, like, if I don't have this, I'm, I don't know if I'm even going to want to be I'm, around anymore. I'm you know? dead, like, he says. Yeah. He says, I'm dead at one point if he yeah. doesn't have this thing. And he doesn't mean in the, you're fired sense. Because this show does have a lot of terms and stuff, I'm sure that we'll get into a little bit. It has its own language, and then it creates another language on top of that, which is uh, another uh, kind of cool thing about the show. So the other thing we notice is that we have a lot of parasitic personalities, and we are dealing with some parasitic corporations. Um, and even at one point, that exact word is used, but I'm going to save that for later because um, it was one of my favorite lines in the whole show, talking about parasitic um, features of the personalities involved, but then about the systems, the corporations, what they stand for, and how they use and abuse people. Um, and then we have that they're constantly like actively seeking to sabotage each other. And they're ruining purposefully, constantly, any moments that could possibly lead to closeness or intimacy. Like the second anything starts to get a little too touchy-feely, someone has to make a shitty joke or a shitty comment or get mean or make fun of or mock and pull us right out of that moment of authenticity it's, or transparency. It's, um, it's either that or the, you know, all work is getting involved. The business just gets involved. And so, you know, a lot of times what interrupts a, a moment of possible closeness is the phone ringing or a text message. And it's, uh, and that's something we can all relate to. And something that I find uh, very interesting about the show too, is timing of those things, uh, you know, works out to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They always have an important call they got to get to, you know, everybody's always like, oh, excuse me, I'll be right back, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're not sorry. <laughs> um, they ruin special occasions or milestone events. Um, you know, you got like, say, Connor's wedding, for example, and that whole, I mean, you know, like nobody cares about protecting the sanctity of any special moment at all. In fact, it's almost like you're more targeted if you're the person who is the center of attention. Well, you're showing vulnerability. And as soon as you do that. Right. Yes. And, and that's going to come up here in just a second. But they also really do a lot of mocking and chastising as part of their abusive style. You know, I mean, when 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 Logan is being really shitty, you know, he'll he like uses a voice and makes fun of, you know, like they literally mock each other like you would on the playground, you know, in the fourth grade. Um, OK, so let me also present this concept of a spectrum of abusive personalities. OK, because we see so many different versions of abusers. I mean, not all of them. These are all top rope types. I mean, we don't have any serial killers here, um, but we certainly do have violence. Um, we have people that are covering up their crimes. Um, I mean, these are all individuals that if we dug a little bit deeper could probably wind up with some charges and in jail, right? Like they get away with this stuff, very much so. But on our spectrum, what we have is we have on one end people that have toxic 
states. These are unwell individuals that might be unmedicated or maybe they're active in their substance use disorder. But the, the key of this part is that this person, if they had their needs met, but if they or if they had their medication, if they took care of themselves, they wouldn't be acting this way. But it doesn't take away from how harmful those behaviors are uh, and what damage that they can do. Now, down at the other end of the spectrum, what we have is abusive traits. So these are fixed parts of someone's personality. This is who they are. They're not sick. Um, they're not unwell. And they likely do have a lot of their needs met because they tend to be parasitic and don't give a crap who they take from or use and abuse. So they will have their needs met. Um, we have mostly in this show people that have those abusive traits. These, this is their, these are their personalities. Um, but notice that you can have a narcissistic personality, but also have a mood disorder. So Kendall, for example, Kendall is most certainly a narcissist. He definitely has some psychopathic tendencies, a lack of remorse. Um, you know, you'll see like he feels like he feels guilty about something, but it's truly just skin deep yeah. overall. Um, he'll get over it pretty quickly. As soon as things are going his way, he has no problem laughing it off. The only time he seems to feel guilt or shame is when things aren't going his way. Right. Yeah. Kind of like a child. Right. The child who doesn't get what they want and they throw a temper tantrum. Right. That's when he loses, you know, and, and it because the stakes are so high for him and his mind when he loses, it's devastating to the point where, again, you know, uh, it's, you know, could come to self-harm or something along those lines. And it's just it's just. You know, it's mind blowing. I'm interested to hear you dissect some of those situations where he, you know, builds things up to the point where it's going to be the end of the world if these things don't happen, knowing that, you know, Logan always wins. So it's just, you know, it's just a fascinating thing. Um, this system that you've called it or, you know, a cycle in his case that repeats itself a few times during the course of the show. Right. And with Kendall, what you have is you've got those fixed abusive traits, but you also have toxic states because he clearly has a substance use disorder. He clearly has probably bipolar disorder. I think that's pretty clear that he has bipolar disorder because he has those manic episodes and then he has on the other side of them a very depressive episode. Um, but he also is narcissist and a little psychopathic. Right. So. I wanted to just present the concept of the spectrum um, and that there's anything and everything in between. Uh, it could be argued that all abuse is narcissistic because essentially when you abuse someone, um, you're doing it from the position of a single-minded mentality. You're not thinking about the other people involved, or if you are thinking about them, you don't care about them, or you're putting your needs first or your wants first. Um, when we are mistreating people in our lives who love and care about us and we abuse them, it could be said that it's narcissistic. Um, so narcissistic abuse, and we use that term, doesn't have anything to do with an actual narcissist, okay? That's a common myth and mis misunderstanding about the concept of narcissistic abuse. Narcissistic is a descriptive term, and narcissistic 
abuse is a style of abuse used by abusive, manipulative, exploitative, parasitic individuals, systems, groups. Okay. So it's a style of abuse that gets used. Um, but of course, narcissists and people who are uncomfortable with the concept of narcissistic abuse think that it's all about the narcissist. And then guess what they do? They play a victim. Oh, no. Well, you can't use that word. That's not right. If if I have narcissistic personality disorder and you're saying that I'm abusive, then that's ableist and I'm the victim and I get called ableist. A couple of weeks ago, I got a message on Tumblr. What was it? It was. Um, uh, fuck you, ableist, kill yourself. That's what it was. That is narcissistic abuse. More than likely, the person that wrote me that message might be narcissistic, right? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Um, okay, but it's not just about the narcissist. It's about the psychopath, the drunken abuser, the jealous and hateful mother, everything from the actions of an unwell person to the actions of someone who's in survival mode or the evil deeds of a mastermind criminal, everything in between. We're talking about anything and everything that hurts people and why people hurt other people. Why do they pick the people that they pick to hurt? And how did they become this way to be someone that hurts other people? Like, how do we get here? Um, that's really what we focus on in the SNAP program is just examining all aspects of these abusive relationships. Um, it is all narcissistic because it's coming from a single minded place that causes that person to be harmful to other people. Their actions and behaviors are harmful. And that's the problem. It's not about that. We don't have compassion for how they got here because you know, it is true that some of the most abusive people were abused. Uh, it, sexual predators were often sexually abused. So we're not saying that we're judging even how they became abusive. What we're talking about is today how they hurt people because of how because of who they are and how they behave and the damage that those behaviors cause. Um, but we we are fully aware that not all abusers are men. And we're fully aware that people that abuse people are likely to have been abused. I already know that. I don't need you to tell me that. I don't need you to write me, message me, email me, or comment letting me know that it's not all men and also abusers were abused. I know. I'm an expert. I knew that already. Thanks. Okay. Um, but some of them are doing it and they have been... Oh, no, wait. Sorry. Oh, so we're going back to the unwell state. Some people hurt people because they have been mentally hijacked by a substance use disorder, a mood disorder, CTE, uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, or other untreated or unwell states. Um, but when they're well, they can access their empathy, they can access their compassion, and they can gain wisdom, they can gain, gain self-awareness, right? So somebody who had a substance use disorder, they get sober, they start living a healthy life, they're not stealing from grandma anymore. You know, they're not manipulating anymore. They're not lying anymore. They're being transparent. They're living a healthy life. They're being kind and helpful and not not um, entitled and not selfish. Right. So somebody can change um, depending on what their condition is. Um, and those types will feel guilt and shame over their harmful behaviors. And inside they will feel that something's not quite right. I really don't like being this way. I would prefer actually to not be like this. 
but not someone like Logan Roy, right? <laughs> not somebody like him, not somebody like Stewie or Sandy. Um, and those people are on the other end of the spectrum where we're talking about abusive traits. But I just love to be very transparent, honest, and open about all the different styles of people out there, individual systems, groups, and what would make someone behave in a toxic or an abusive way. And there's all kinds of, including being the target of abuse. If you are in an abusive relationship or an abusive scenario, that means that your brain is hijacked by that abuse, which means that all your friends or the people that love and care about you are on your abusive, your roller coaster of you being a target of abuse. And now you're toxic because you're taking everybody on your wild uh, roller coaster ride of getting back together, now breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, right? Nobody wants to be on that roller coaster. So now you're toxic. Um, um, so they will feel guilt and shame over the harmful behaviors, people that are on this part of our spectrum. Um, and for others, the harmful behaviors were not accidents, right? So now for the traits, people with abusive traits, it's not an accident at all. It, it not, and not only is it not an accident, it's done with precision. This is the um, creative malevolence that people don't believe exist. They think that they only see it on TV or you know, in the movies or it's like a serial killer. But if it's, you know, Aunt Barb, who just kind of feels like she's always clawingly needy, you know, and you're, you never quite satisfy her, but she seems like a nice lady and she's not, it's not like she's got kids locked up in her basement or some shit, it's just a regular old person, but yet super duper toxic right? Super duper toxic. It's not always so obvious. Sometimes they blend right in and seem like they're just a normal old person. But yet Aunt Barb is malevolently, malevolently creative. She is triangulating and planting seeds of doubt in the family. So now nobody trusts each other. That's not an accident. When you talk shit about people specifically to cast doubt upon them um, so that other people don't trust them or believe them when they come and say, hey, Aunt Barb's a bitch. <laughs> Aunt Barb is super manipulative and she is, you know, just bleeding me dry of my energy and emotions with her neediness. Oh, Aunt Barb, she's not that bad. She doesn't mean that. <laughs> How about yeah, this? this? When uh, I used to work with a, a lady, we'll call her Barb. Um, you know, for this uh, conversation's sake. And, you know, if you talk to Barb, you say, hey, Barb, how you doing today? And she'd say, oh, not good. Every day was the worst day of her life. And um, she was one of these folks that was really obvious about her malevolence. She would lose her mind every time we would do something. Like, for example, she wanted everything to be a certain way. Well, we would make sure it was just off of that way right you know just just to mess with her to see her go nuts and start figuring out new ways to screw with us and all this stuff and it was a fun little game that we played at work but that woman was so miserable and one of the things she would always say that i found interesting is she'd say you know i can't get good get good service anywhere i go and i always thought to myself you know barb who is the common denominator in all of these problems that you have you know it's you and uh she is uh I, you know, person that I hope I never run into again, but my goodness, when you meet someone that's that obvious, it's, um, it's kind of entertaining. And I think that part of this show is some of the most obvious abuse that you'll see. And part of that is entertainment value that is uh, in there actually. So 
Good old Bart. And like, and like you said before, because they're all doing it to each other and they're all horrible, you kind of don't feel sorry for them. Like we need to step in and rescue anybody necessarily. It's like, yeah, you know, not only are they ultra wealthy, um, but also, you know, they they kind of like it. It seems like they're all doing it to each other together. It's just the culture that they're in. Um, as we examine the Logan family dynamic and the corporate sharks and political forces at play in the series, let's ask ourselves these questions. Are these behaviors harmful, manipulative, or coercive? Are the behaviors purposeful, done with intent? Did the person feel genuine remorse, guilt, or shame for the pain or damage they caused to other people? And by the way, when someone cries, that's not an indication of true remorse. That's that they've been caught. You know, that's when you've been caught. Um, that that very abusive and narcissistic and psychopathic people love to turn on the tears. And if you don't know any better, especially if it's a man crying, everyone in the room is like, oh, he's having a moment. You know, he must really feel bad because he's crying. There's real tears. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, no, no. And, and here's how we know that it's only skin deep. These individuals are arrested in their emotional development. They only develop to a certain age emotionally. So what you're dealing with is a literal and figurative emotional toddler or emotional teen or emotional adolescent on the inside of this big adult body. Um, so when you see somebody appear to have remorse, that's not always the indicator of remorse. Uh, again, especially if it's a man that's crying, we don't fall for male tears. I know that sounds so mean and weird, but I just see it so frequently in the lives of my clients who are being abused by someone who doesn't give a shit at all about the damage that they're causing, not just to the target, but to the children. Because by the way, if you abuse someone's parents, you're abusing their children also. Um, it's the same. The courts don't see it that way. The court will allow for a psychopathic abuser, violent abuser even, to still have regular um, you know, visitations with their children because both parents are what's best. Um, but I have something really freaky and crazy to say. And that is that psychopaths should not have access to children. I know, I know that's just really radical thing to think and to consider. Um, but I don't know, call me crazy. I just don't think that people that lack empathy, lack remorse, that use and abuse, that are parasitic, that use children as pawns, that, you know, seek to literally destroy and break down their target. That person is not going to have a positive influence on their lives of their children. And it isn't what's best for kids. Um, okay. So now the initial view might be that all the players are willing participants as they abuse each other. The narcissistic relational dynamic between all the characters is just one level of the narcissistic abuse that's happening. And you already mentioned this a few minutes ago, so I love that you said that. There's also the cruise line crimes that we know about and how that whole thing plays out and countless other cor corporate crimes within a corporate culture that is innately parasitic. 
Um, so narcissistic abusers are parasitic, single-minded, and they are egocentric. Uh, so I'm going to describe really quickly what is egocentric, and then we're going to get into our list. Um, we have this concept of ego dystonia or ego dystonic people or ego syntonic people. Ego dystonic would be that you have the self-awareness to look inside yourself for why you might be or how you might be the cause of the issues. And a lot of my clients are very ego dystonic. So they'll be sitting and they'll be telling you about the horrible things that are happening to them that other someone's doing to them. And they'll say things to me like, I've done bad things, too. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not perfect either. And I did say something that made him really angry. And I knew it would. But I said he it cried. He, he cried. Right. So they they will say to me, I might be the problem. It could be me. I might be the issue. And, you know. That's the, the part of the people that might be unwell, untreated, the people that are toxic in a toxic state, right? Um, they would be ego dystonic. They would deep down not like how they are and want to fix it. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the abusive traits. That's ego syntonic. There's nothing wrong with me. I sleep like a baby. It's not my problem. I didn't do anything wrong. All the issues are out here, pointing the finger, pointing the finger, pointing the finger, and I have no self-reflection whatsoever. Um, so that's ego dystonic. And you're seeing a lot of people with that ego dystonia on this show. Now, let's go through this list. How many we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So we got like 15 items on this list. Now, in the SNAP program, it's a way bigger list. Um, it gets way more in depth, but I just picked out some that I saw so frequently throughout the show. And Andrew, I would love it if you could, you know, help me by commenting, but also if you think of any examples as we're going through this, that would be great. Well, the first thing on our list is transactional relationships in an abusive relationship, manipulative, exploitative, parasitic people. Love is transactional. Good deeds are transactional. Um, and you don't just do something from the goodness of your heart, from the bottom of your heart. Everything's transactional. And that includes fucking Tom, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, he really plays that so well of just doing the right thing for Logan because, you know, Logan's his, his dad. He calls him pop and dad like they have pet names for each other. Um, but he is banking on this. He's banking on these deeds that he's doing for Logan because um, he knows that that's how these relationships work. He doesn't even have to say anything. In fact, I'm just doing it because I want to. I don't expect anything from you. But we all know that nothing exists in this world without it being a transaction. Yeah. I mean, in, in the very first episode, we see uh, Logan wants to do some paperwork with the trust, you know, then he doesn't really want anyone to look into it too close. And so he basically has each of the children have a price that they will, you know, that they want. I mean, in particular, Roman is like, hey, you know, maybe I want Frank's job. And so he says that in not so many words and Frank gets fired or demoted or something. And so, you know, to make way for, um, you know, for Roman to get the transactional thing that he's asking for. And it's interesting because this would be something out of the, you know, uh, good, goodness of their heart, because it's a, it's a thing where this paperwork that they're going to sign is going to include someone, give them more power, 
you know, and so that's, that is a big sticking point. I can't do that because literally Roman says, he says, no, nah, it's not about what's in it for me, but what's in it for me. Yes. Right. right. And then too, like the mom, their mother, um, what's her name? Is it Caroline? That sounds um, right. I have it written somewhere. Um, but yeah, she's another one that when she's interacting with her kids, you know, it's, will you come to the thing? You know, okay, well, what are you going to do for me? You know, they're just constantly passing this chip back and forth of transactions. And with Logan too, like when he's in a pinch, that's one of the first things he asks is what do you want? Mm -hmm. Or when they're developing a new deal um, behind each other's backs and they're trying to gain alliances, it'll be, what do you want? Um, Okay. Next on our list is flying monkeys. So we know what flying monkeys are from, um, from the wizard of Oz, right? The wicked witch sends off her flying monkeys and they are her eyes and ears. Well, abusers and manipulative people um, have their own flying monkeys. My first example that I could think of is Tom and Chip. That even though they're at odds and they're competing between the two of them all the time, they're still each other's flying monkey. Absolutely. Yeah. They're always looking out for each other. And many times Shiv's entire like reason for what she's doing is try trying to help Tom's future career because, you know, she realizes that she, you know, it's sometimes during the show, she realizes she has a ceiling to her, what she could do. And other times she doesn't, it just kind of depends on what the situation is. But most of the time, her main drive is to help Tom's career because she feels like that he has a higher ceiling on the power that they could collectively own. And he's helping her too, especially with Logan. In fact, in, you know, in the episode where Logan passes away, he is, literally being a flying monkey for the dead Logan Roy and for the children at the same time playing both sides. That's another thing you get in this uh, show a lot is double agents, you know, (laughs) and sometimes someone is a double agent for and against themselves at the same time. (laughs) It's just bonkers. But yes, uh, there is many, many examples of this. There's an entire a group of characters that you could just put in the flying monkey category, you know, um, the, the like executives that are on that, like high and Frank and uh, the, uh, her name begins with a G her, you know, all of them are flying monkeys depending and they work for whoever's in charge, you know? So they're just, they're just basically stooges and uh, it's, they're, they're really funny characters because they're, Greg is a great Greg. flying monkey. You know, he's kind of a f- fumbling flying monkey, but yet an effective, very effective flying monkey. He, um, many of the moves that he makes are the pivotal points of the show. And we've really underestimated him, we find, as it turns out. He seems like just a bumbling fool, but um, mm, I, I really like his character as being seemingly harmless and benign when actually he's done he's moved forward several plot points in the in the on the show yeah and some of the characters you know tom in particular constantly underestimates greg um or uh, like wants everyone else to think that he's nothing you know and so um they have a very fascinating relationship that i would assume we're going to get into quite a bit because it is 
extremely abusive. What do you know? And so funny too at the same time. <laughs> There's so many funny, horrible things. Well, we I have very very dark humor, so um, a lot of this is funny to me. Even though other people watching it might be just shocked and horror and thinking it's not funny. <laughs> but okay, so now next we have future faking. Future faking is something that abusers do to their targets to keep them kind of stuck in the situation or thinking that the situation is going to progress in a certain direction. One thing that abusers do promise a future of matrimony or monogamy, um, or they'll promise a future of, you know, being a good team, a good uh, partner, and that together we will do these things. Um, or I'm going to buy you a ring someday. Um, or maybe someday we'll have kids. Maybe someday we'll go on this vacation. Um, but abusers like to sort of put these breadcrumbs that, you know, take the target in a direction of, okay, well, if I stick around long enough, this great thing's going to happen. Who uses future faking the most on the show? Logan Roy. 100% Logan. All the time. He will, he will have all three siblings. When I say all three, there's actually four. Poor Connor. But poor Connor. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really fit into the siblings. Um, and he doesn't get treated the same as Kendall, Siobhan, and Roman. Um, but Logan will simultaneously have all three of those kids, and maybe four with Connor too, to gain their support, to get them back on his team so that they can pose for the glossy photo and see, oh, we're together and united. Um, he will have each one of them thinking that they are going to be the one who's the successor. You know, it's you. It's always been you. You know, you're my favorite. Um, you know, and and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, even though a second ago he was saying this, now all of a sudden I'm eating this up, right? You know, like they are deprived of their father's approval and kindness. So any little tiny morsel that he drops for them, they gobble it right up, and they fall for it every time. They fall for it, um, even with the other siblings beside them going. You know, he's just yeah. Working yeah, yeah. around, but they're thinking, but maybe not though. Maybe this time it's real. Maybe this time that's how that's how much they long for that is that it, you know you almost become addicted to hope in some abusive situations that in, in, in denial, you know, that it is as bad as what it is, uh, especially when it has to do with those like core attachment issues of mother father figures. Um, people will stay in abusive relationships with parental figures longer than they'll stay in that relationship with, say, an intimate partner, abusive person. Well, that future faking has shown up in, you know, popular media quite a bit. And a, a popular place where I keep seeing it show up uh, nowadays is in vampire stories where it's, uh, you know, the the familiar whoever is promised to become, well, I'll make you a vampire one day. You just have to murder all these people for me. <laughs> and it's a constant thing on these uh, vampire TV shows. But you also see it in, like, Carlito's way, where Carlito is an abuser, even though he's the good guy, because he's telling, it's just one more job. It's just one, you know, it's always just one more job, and then I'm going to get out, right? and it never goes well for them. And that's kind of a good moral story there. Um, it's interesting uh, though, in this particular show, 
not only do does Logan Roy do it, but he does it in situations like we were just talking about with the transactional stuff. It never like a lot of it never comes to fruition. So it's like, it, you know, it, it's interesting in the first episode, we see him make deals with some of his kids and some of them he agrees to and some of them he does not. Kendall in particular, he does not. And and when there's a scene where they they all show up at, at uh, Logan Roy's lunch, uh, birthday lunch, and everybody's there, all the all the kids, and we're seeing them for the first time with Logan Roy. And Logan Roy hugs, and, oh, I'm so happy to see you, to everybody except Kendall. He literally, physically, does not give him love and, st and like, won't look at him and acts all befuddled and, like, you know, flabbergasted by his presence, which is just... I mean, it's just fantastic. So it's such a great example of this stuff. I mean, there's so many awkward family dinners and family gatherings on this show. It's, oh my God, it's so uncomfortable. I love it. Okay, next we have gaslighting. Now we've heard the word gaslighting and it might be one of those words that some people are rolling their eyes about these days because now everyone knows the word. Well, I'm glad everybody knows the word because gaslighting is incredibly damaging it can cause problems with people's brains even if you are constantly gaslit by the people around you you lose your sense of what is real and what isn't real you stop trusting your own perceptions um you lose your sense of agency your sense of autonomy um you think you're going crazy it, it shatters your reality your self-concept and your concept of you in relationship to the world around you gaslighting is something that people can do um, in a joking way. Like, for example, um, one that you will see is like, huh? You know, like you say something, everyone heard it, and then somebody might say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, right? Like, so that would be like a little tiny example of a little gaslighting move. Um, so I see everything in these varying degrees, as you've probably noticed by now, but I'd like to still be honest about what that is. So when you when you deny someone the reality, that is what gaslighting is. And so my definition of gaslighting is the denial of a shared reality. You saw it. I saw it. We both know what's true. And you're telling me it's not true, even though I know it's true. You know, it's true. But you're saying it's not. And it could be in a group full of people. Um, so this happens quite a bit on, on the show where somebody will ask a direct question. Did you do that? No, no, um, that's not what happened. You know, that's not what happened. Um, but we won't spend a lot of time on gaslighting um, for this because it is something that's super common now that people know about. But I just wanted to bring it up because it is super harmful. It's very harmful. It's not okay. Um, and of course, there's some varying degrees with that. You know, some people are very strict about their definition and that it's something that people do on purpose in a harmful, malicious way. That's true. It is on purpose and in a malicious way. But there are other versions of it, too, that maybe aren't as malicious. Um, say, for example, a toddler getting their hand caught in the cookie jar. I don't there's chocolate all over his face and mom <laughs> saying, you, I told you not to eat any cookies and you did it. I didn't eat a cookie. And there's, okay, that's gaslighting and it's a three-year-old, okay? It is, but it's appropriate because it's a three-year-old. Okay, let's move on to controlling the narrative. 
I mean, the whole show is basically all about that, isn't it? Yes, yes. it's it's everyone's struggle to control the narrative, uh, you know, and have that work in their favor. And, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the lengths that they will go to and the lies they will tell to control that narrative. Um, but it, it's, you know, that's an interesting term. What does it mean, you know, in, in the, you know, the context of what we're talking about here? Well, narcissistic abusers or manipulative people, they avoid the truth at all costs and they avoid plans um, and they don't follow directions or follow the rules. They want life to be malleable and shapeable, moldable. They want to be able to say whatever is based on whatever is going on at any given moment. So if you think about it as a metaphor, reality is like a stream. Let's picture like, you know, here's the brain, here's the eyeballs perceiving reality, right? And it's a stream that comes in. Um, and what narcissistic abusers do is that while it's still out here as a stream, they get in and they mess with things and make it what they want it to be. And then it settles into their consciousness or their perceptions, right? So we want for reality to be something that is moldable and shapeable. If we say, for example, go to court over custody issues and the, the judge passes down the decree, here's what's going to happen. A narcissistic abuser cannot follow directions or do what they are told. They will not do what they're told. They refuse to be told what to do. Um, so it'll be something even silly like, you know, your your payment is $22.50. So then they'll write a check for $22 just because they don't want to be told what to do. Very petty. Um, you'll notice on the show that when Siobhan writes the letter about Kendall initially, you know, he had gone off the rails and, you know, he did that big blow up thing where he was supposed to, um, you know, take the heat for what had happened. But instead he said, it's my father and he is this, my father is that, my father is that. So then what does Siobhan do? She was pissed. So he set up those speakers when she was trying to give her speech um, and it played the Nirvana song, Rape Me. Um, you know, so he's really coming after Siobhan as she's supposed to be the CEO, but he wants to be the CEO. Um, and at one point she writes this letter and she wants for everybody to sign off on it. Well, the letter is honest. It's honest. It's exactly true. Like when, when they go through it and say, and she, you see what it is, or they tell you what it is. It's like, that's true. Those are facts. Those things actually happened. It's hilarious how they're willing to to hang everybody out to dry, your own sibling. They'll abuse, use and abuse each other. And we're perfectly um, like behind the idea of shifting and shaping the narrative. And they help each other shift and shape the narrative. But the second someone says something true, they all disapprove. So Siobhan goes out and says what's true. And they don't want to sign off on the letter. They don't like the letter. It's in poor taste. It's like you've gone too far. Um, and Logan's brother, Ewan, um, he even says something along the lines of, you know, I don't really approve of airing our family business, airing the, our dirty laundry in public. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's a fake story, 
about something that isn't true, that's all fine. But if it's a real story of what actually happened, we're not okay with telling the truth. We're not okay with being transparent. That's airing your dirty laundry. Um, you're, you're supposed to act like everything's okay. It's showing weakness essentially, but truth and fact are to be avoided and the narrative needs to be able to remain shiftable, shapeable, moldable. There's a lot of situations in the show too, where a few people are in a disagreement about something and maybe Kendall, for example, is like, oh, can I get a moment alone? He always wants a moment alone, you know, so that he can manipulate that person and maybe get to them first and get his narrative in there first, right? So that's a constant thing that you see in the show as well. I love that you brought that up. Um, I have witnessed that myself. Can I have the room? Can we have the room? Mm -hmm. Why? Why Why do you need to have alone time one-on-one -on -one with this person without witnesses in the room? That's really weird. Um, but they act like, well, you know, we want to really talk, you know, it's like, but no, it's because you're about to do things that you don't want witnesses to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love that you, that you mentioned that because that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Let's, let, can we have a moment? Can you leave the room? Yeah. And then whoever gets to stay and has to leave, that's all like a big thing. Um, <laughs> they do that on a lot of shows. Okay. Let's go on to love bombing. And again, I'm thinking of one character in particular that does love bombing. It's Logan Roy. Yeah. He does it's it. To, you know, uh, he does it to Roman a lot. He does it to, you know, all of the children at one point where he needs something from them. So all of a sudden they're important and they're number one. It's always been you, like you said before, you know, and it screws them up to the point where late in the show, Kendall is trying to take over the company again. And he remembers being told that he was supposed to take it over when he was a very, very young child. And you, you, you get to the, you know, many times in the show, they make you realize that this has been going on their entire lives. And the love bombing thing has gone on their entire lives. And it's you even see evidence of it, um, I think, of like a birthday party or something like that in the intro to the show, you know, where, I mean, I'm sure they got all kinds of extravagant gifts of various types their entire lives, but only when Logan Roy needed, he needed them for something. So, yeah, like I think there's even a, a pony Right, it's there you go. In the intro. Well, love bombing traditionally is part of the abusive cycle, and it's actually actually a neurobiological strategy. Um, not that they're aware that it's a neurobiological strategy, but it has a neurobiological effect on the targets where you are deprived of love acceptance you don't feel known you don't feel heard you're you know you're not getting affirmed um you're you're neglected and then you get love bombed so it's this this interval of deprivation and then um reward deprivation reward and so when the love bombing happens, it's lighting up all your feel good chemicals in your brain. And I'll often use the phrase that, you know, they toss you a bone, but it tastes like filet mignon because you're so hungry or so you're starving for it so badly that it's amazing. So as an abusive relationship um, continues to progress, what will happen is the love bombing decreases.
so that the target doesn't get as much of that chemical reward as part of the cycle anymore. You'll also see the target induce the, uh, the part of the cycle that's the explosion that leads to the love bombing. So the, the abuser goes too far or there's consequences for the behaviors or, you know, you can tell that the target is going to leave now. Whatever the case may be, the, the, the abuser needs to reel the person back in, right? But after a while of not getting that love bombing reward, there's a decrease. I go, I say that it's like 85 and 15, an abusive relationship, that love bombing, that 15% is so good that you're willing to put up with the 85% of shit. But over time, it goes from 85 to 15 to 90 and 10 and then 95 and 5. And by the time it's like 95 and 5, that's when people start to get really kind of desperate and freaking out because um, they see that it's they're not getting it. So they will induce a fight or an explosion. They will poke the bear, so to speak, because they want the reward. They want the love bombing. They are willing to go through the hardship of the deprivation just to get to the other side so they can feel good again. Um, so love bombing has a, a chemical effect on people. It's a strategy that's used, but it also affects our brains. Um, so it's an important one to know about. And how can you know if you're being love bombed or not? Well, sometimes people who are neurodiverse truly don't know that they're love bombing because they're learning how to express love by seeing what that looks like in the outside world. And what do you see? You see flowers, you see, you know, doing something sort of romantic and over the top and, you know, showing up with roses or cupcakes. And, and so somebody that might have ADHD or autism, they might think that this is love, but they just can't tell the difference. They're just going to do and mock or not mock. They're going to mimic or parrot what they've seen in other places. Um, so not all love bombing is indicative of an abusive cycle, but in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation, if you're being love bombed, you know this because you're never, ever getting to talk about the issues in your relationship. You know, the fight that happened, that was the explosion that led to the love bombing. Those things never get resolved. People don't take responsibility. The abusers never take responsibility for what they are, what they are, what they've done. They don't get honest about things. So if it's love bombing, we know this by the lack of communication, the lack of clarity. We don't get a shared understanding. We never come together on an issue. It's always left unresolved and that the love bombing is supposed to somehow smooth all of that over and make you shut up stop complaining, be happy and start stroking them again, being nice to them again, giving them the thing that they, that fuels them. So if I love bomb you and you don't give me that, this is Logan again. So he'll be very nice, right? I remember there's conversations like at the um, karaoke bar um, and a couple other ones where he comes in. Oh, I know the family therapy session. You know, he'll come in and kind of act like that he's going to behave well. But when he sees that that trick isn't working, he instantly goes into I'm an asshole mode. I'm a fucking monster instantly. So that's another indicator of love bombing is that when you don't have the reaction or response that they think you should have, they go from being like, I love you. Here's roses to 
fuck you, get the fuck out of here, you whore, you know, because you didn't go, oh, thank you, that's wonderful. Instead, you said, that's not okay. I don't want flowers. I want to talk about what you said and what you did. Nothing I do is good enough for you. This is the whole problem. All you want to do is dwell in the past. You know, you do nothing but nitpick me. I can't get anything right. Like, oh, that's interesting because two seconds ago you were acting remorseful mm-hmm. and like that you were going to finally take responsibility. But the second you don't get your way, you go straight to dick mode. Um, so, yeah, love bombing is something I noticed quite a bit throughout the series. And usually it was Logan that was doing You know, uh, Kendall does it with his kids a little bit, too. Probably quite a bit, actually, now that I think about it. I think most of the scenes that we see him with his kids is probably him doing that at least to some extent you know uh, which is fascinating because you know it happened to him and there is one particular situation that we forget about because it happened so quickly but at the beginning of the series um when connor's girlfriend willa is putting on her play Maybe it isn't the beginning of the series. Maybe it's like season two. Whenever Con- whenever Willa finally gets her play, the act there's an actor in the play that Kendall meets, mm-hmm. and then he love bombs her, and she winds up like not even showing up to her job as the actor um, <laughs> because she has been love bombed by Kendall, who's basically swept her away and made her think she's being you know adopted into this rich family by Kendall. And then in an instant, when she says something that makes Kendall feel like it's making him look bad, he does the next thing on our list, which is discarding and devaluing. So love bombing comes before the discard and the devalue. Um, so you can see Kendall do that, not to Naomi, that girl, the blonde girlfriend. There's another girlfriend, a dark haired woman um, who's an actor. And I think she said the word awesome too much. Is what he tells her. She's like, well, why? And I think he says, because you said awesome. She kept saying, that's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. And that was enough because she didn't appear as someone who was intellectual. Um, you know, narcissists want to put someone on their arm that makes them look good. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on whatever the persona is they're trying to project. So if I want to look rich, I'm going to marry a rich person. If I want to look smart, I'm going to marry a smart person. If I want to, if I'm an evil fucker and I want to seem like a nice person, I'm going to find the nicest partner I can find. Um, and then that person will make me look like I'm a nice person because a nice person like that wouldn't be with a monster like me. Right. Yeah. Well, the uh, discarding and devaluing too is a threat as well it's a ever-existing threat that you may have this happen to you and and we see it happen to some characters in the show and we see other people's reaction to that happening and you know them thinking well that happened to me so i better fall in line you know so the discarding and devaluing is also an incentive for others that are being abused as well so Right. It's a, it's a it's a very complicated web. It so. is complicated, but you're, you're, you're. I love that you mentioned that because it's so true. I mean, Logan. That's one of his big moves is the discard and the devalue. Get out. You know, like you you're on the outside. Frank. Frank's one of the first ones we see that. You know, um, Frank kind of comes back with his tail tucked, um, and 
Logan at some point, you know, Frank opens his mouth and Logan's like, oh no, you don't get a voice. You know, like you can be here, but you're not actually in the group yet. I'm mad at you. I've discarded you. Um, so know your place, know your role. Um, and then he does it with the kids too. You know, that's the whole thing is they, they kind of like, do you like me? Do you like me? Are we okay? We're, you know? And then they're like, okay, he's listening to me. And Siobhan especially gets very nervous and will make a fool of herself. Also, Roman gets very nervous around his dad, acts very different around his dad. Um, and it's that devaluing that they know and the, the dismissal, the discard that's going to come up that's so painful and hurts so bad. Even no matter how many times it happens, it still hurts when it's somebody that is supposed to love you unconditionally. It causes cognitive dissonance, right? Because we know the concept of unconditional love. We know the concept of it, but many people have never experienced it. So they truly don't know what it is. They just know the idea of it and that your father or your mother or your sibling is supposed to show you that unconditional positive regard. Well, being a part of a cult is not unconditional positive regard, but in abusive family systems, that cult-like mentality is how we can claim togetherness, right? Meanwhile, it's, it's almost exactly the opposite you know so uh it's it's uh yeah it's a shame yeah. you know i think uh, i think that's a, a big theme on this show too is is people parading around as one thing and being something else you know and and as you said it's a it's a lot about the appearances and stuff like that i'm sure we'll get into it i just find that interesting yeah I, yeah i can't wait we got so much so much and i get really into the details of everything too it's just, I'm sure you can imagine this way it's taking me so long um okay projection there's a lot of projection happening where you know people are taking what's really going on within them and projecting that on to someone else and assuming what they're thinking what they're feeling um so i don't know if you've heard this before but you know narcissistic people they only have the one frame of reference, which is their own. They only have their own perception. They don't have empathy. And for many of them, not all, Tom, for example, um, Tom has very high emotional intelligence, but a lot of abusive, manipulative people have low emotional intelligence. In fact, the more narcissism is in the personality, there's a higher likelihood that we're going to have less emotional intelligence. Um, and with the emotional intelligence part, what that does is it really limits them to only being able to look at the world through their own eyes. So when they accuse someone of something, her emails, it's a great example, um, back in, was it 2016? But her emails, her emails, isn't it interesting that as it turns out that the people in person who was actually doing that, that was actually guilty of that exact thing was the one pointing the finger. So when we talk about projection and we're talking about narcissistic people, always listen to what they're accusing people of and how they interpret situations. Well, he only did that because he's trying to gain the upper hand. Mm -hmm. No, that's what you would do. In that situation. <laughs> that's how you look at it. Um, and it, a common one that we see would be in these very hypocritical accusations that come across. And I'm just going to use one of the basic ones from your typical abusive relationship that is a, you know, um, that is a, um, 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 a heterosexual scenario. 
and you'll have somebody who is jealous and controlling and all up in your phone and all up in your devices and where were you and who was that and you're cheating i know you're cheating not cheating at all and being very transparent this other person you can look through my phone if you want to i'm not doing anything i don't know where this is even coming from well guess who the cheater is it's the one pointing the finger here's something that's a little bit um you know gross but so if if the person is always thinking about say their girlfriend or their partner in relationship to cheating and that every man that comes around this woman is a potential sex partner that means that that person who's having those thoughts is thinking more about dick than the person they're accusing of cheating the person they're accusing of cheating isn't walking around thinking of every man's dick like oh like to fuck that guy like to fuck that guy like to fuck that guy that's not what's happening ever because that's not how that person thinks not in a million years right but the person do the accusing that's the one that's walking around she's hot i'd fuck her i'd do that mm -hmm. and that's why they get so wound up and jealous is because they only have one frame of reference they can't conceive of multiple perspectives multiple realities multiple ways of looking at things um it's my thoughts my perceptions are how everyone thinks mm -hmm. um so then they wind up with these very hypocritical accusations well it um, happens quite a bit in the show with kendall when he's in negotiations it happens almost every time he's in negotiation with someone because he's trying to fuck them over and he's like how dare you try to fuck me over <laughs> it's, it's always it's always him the, the one that's doing it and uh that that is uh, gets to be very amusing in the show so they say that listen to the accusations of narcissists because they are confessions mm -hmm. and so when we say projection that's what we're talking about specifically we're not talking about your typical human being projections that all humans do is just part of our psyche we're talking about narcissistic personalities and how they project their sick minds onto other people and when i say sick i don't mean like literally mentally ill sick i mean sick as in you know evil and wrong um, or gross or not okay and harmful Okay, let's move on to coercive control. Coercive control is essentially coercing someone to do what you want them to do. And boy, don't we have a ton of examples of coercive control on the show. I mean, it's, it's constant. And as you said, it's layered. I mean, use the example of Tom again, when, you know, Tom feels like that he needs to be the one to go down for all of this, uh, you know, bad stuff that's happened in the in the uh, cruise ship division, um, you know, he is coerced into doing that by Shiv and the rest of the family, and so, and you know, the threat of being discarded and devalued is the reason why he's coerced into it, as well as you know, his entire life, uh, his you know, his wife, he could lose his wife over this if he doesn't do it right. So um, I think that's a good example of how he's coerced uh, throughout the series, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, it all kind of builds up to that. But there's, you know, many situations in the show where someone is coerced and coerced in very like in ways that are kind of sneaky. You know what I mean? And so some, it's not always obvious. Like, for example, you know, um, 
cousin Greg. He comes to uh, to Logan Roy to try to fix the issue of him losing his job at at the uh, uh, you know theme park, which is a really fun scene. But uh, how he loses his job. But he comes to Logan, and Logan basically he he shoots him an idea, and he uses some terms you know that he's learned apparently about business. And Logan Roy is impressed, and he goes. That's what he does. He just gives this, right? And that's enough to make Greg dive headlong into this whole thing. And so he's coercing Greg by giving him just that little bit. This is, again, you know, the love bombing thing, but it's just a little tiny piece of that that he's giving him. And throughout all these other techniques, he's coerced Greg. Now it's a following his family into the fucking, you know, flames, basically. It's incredible. So... I just thought of another example of that very subtle coercive control that Logan does. And it's when there's, there's a couple times where he uses the nickname for Kendall and says killer. He calls him, Hey, Hey killer. Yeah. And all that's, it's one word. That's mm -hmm. it. And to anyone else around, it seems like, Oh, well, that's just, you know, a pet name he has for him. Like that he's a corporate killer, you know, like he goes out there and slays corporations or whatever. But we know that what he's referring to is the kid that drowned um, when Kendall was, you know, at Siobhan's wedding and they were getting wasted and in the car. And then there was the lake um, and then Logan and Colin, the security person, helps um, Kendall by covering up the crime. And then Logan can coercively control Kendall by reminding him that he knows that he's a killer. So all he has to do is just say, knock him dead, killer. It's great, too, because early in in the show, I think it's, um, you know, Logan Roy tells, basically tells Kendall, the reason why I chose not to let you take over is because you're not a killer. And so there's like this double meaning to it as well that goes throughout the show that is also it's it's not only taunting him about the death of the of the waiter but it's taunting him about that thing that he doesn't have that he's you know? a weak he's weak yeah, he's weak, he's, weak and, and he's pointing out to everyone that thing that he doesn't have and so that word hits Kendall like a ton of bricks <laughs> it's great some of my favorite parts of the show are when uh you know Logan Roy says something like that and they just zoom in just a little bit on whoever's like faces. Like for example, he just announces at his uh, his uh, birthday lunch. Yeah, I decided I'm not going to retire. And and Lo uh, uh, Kendall's right behind him. And I mean, the, the blocking on the show is just it's it's some of the best blocking you'll see on television. It's incredible. And so the camera always makes it feel like you're standing in the group of people listening and talking and, and observing this and being in the room with them. And so the camera reacts as if you would, if you were in the room. So you know this about Kendall. The camera points to him a little bit and we can see he is spinning out of control all of a sudden. And everyone else is just like, okay, cool. And moves on. And he is just like, and, but he's trying to maintain. And it is uh, very amusing. That actor is extremely talented. Yeah, so any anything that Logan can have leverage over other people will be used as a point of coercive control. It's the money, it's the status, it's the family name, it's anything and everything that would cause people to have to 
do what Logan wants them to do or let Logan get away with things that actually he should be held accountable for. All right, let's move to the next one, objectification. Um, you know, pe treating people as objects. I mean, okay, so- the, There's the, literally treating people I mean, as objects that yes. happen. There is a, a, a thread throughout the, the show that uh, Greg is a piece of furniture. And like he literally gets like a tag put on him like he is a literal piece of furniture. There's a lot of stuff like that that happens in the show. Um, there is a, a, uh, a thing, a punishment where they have to pretend to be a dog, I believe, at one point. And so there's a lot of stuff like that that happens. Um, and it's called out usually in the most obvious form, which is interesting because the show is very subtle, but it's also very in your face with some things. And so like, for example, objectification is always, almost always called out as a thing in the show. Like they say it, you know, and, and then they do it. And so I like that about the show that when they're trying to hammer something home or really maybe it's something that the normal person wouldn't pick up. They'll beat you over the head with it. And you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's pretty well, good. For example, like the way they talk about Sandy, Sandy, the father, not Sandy, the daughter, mm -hmm. you know, they, they call him all kinds of mean things. Uh, he's he's a vegetable. Yeah, right. Exactly. He had a stroke and now, you know, he lacks the capacity for some functioning and they are so mean and they call him mean things, usually, vegetables and you know things like that it's just super cruel but yeah there's there's a tape there's a you have to act like you're a table um people are definitely objectified and then when they're talking about the atn um audience mm -hmm. yes those are people um but they're being objectified um what did what did she siobhan said something like um what did she call it the bigot spigot yeah, so the audience and then Logan, you know, even has a conversation with Colin, I believe, at the beginning of season four, um, where they, you know, he's like, let's get out of here. I think it's his birthday dinner. He wants to get out and him and Colin go hang out. And of course, Colin doesn't say anything. He, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Logan is sort of, you know, doing his thing where he's philosophizing um but he talks about how you know what is a person and what's a real person remember how they say like you're not a real person mm -hmm. um there's that not a real person nrp right so people are objects no doubt about it on the show um he says that they're actually um you know opportunities for sales that's what people are and you know like he doesn't care about being responsible for what gets uh, disseminated through ATN. He is just more concerned about being the richest motherfucker on the planet and whatever it takes to get there is what he will do. Um, okay, next we have this sort of callousness and cruelty. That's a no brainer, right? We know that's going on. But the part that I wanted to highlight is that Anytime someone shows that they are displeased by how they've been treated or that their feelings are hurt, they get bullied and made fun of. That's the thing you don't do is you don't wriggle. You don't you can't sell. You can't sell. Right. So, you know, there's a concept in the world that I'm steeped in uh, called selling. 
And what it is is that you're showing someone how you feel, what's going on, you know? And so this world of succession is you can't ever sell. And so if you do, it has to be in a strategic way to get someone else to do something for you. So it can't be real. It has to be an act. And if you don't act right, you know, it's it's interesting because you had said earlier that the truth is what they don't want. They don't want the truth involved. They don't want this like frame of reference that then other truths could be built on. And part of that is emotional truth. So if you are to speak an emotional truth or show that emotional truth, oh, that is bad news because that's an emotional truth that could, you know, someone could start building on and learn other emotional truths. And all of a sudden we got a big problem here for our narcissists. So um, that's uh, that's a big part of the show, definitely. And Tom presents over and over again. He even calls himself a pain sponge. Oh, um, you know, he says, I won't wriggle. You know, he's, he's saying, I can take it. And he does. He takes all the mistreatment, all the comments. I mean, he does every once in a while something like when he walked over and picked up Logan's chicken and took a bite of it. But for the most part, I mean, he just he takes it and that's kind of his role. And that's what Logan respects about him is that you can take it. You know, you don't wriggle. You don't say when things hurt you or you don't put your foot down or set boundaries. You know, like it's you you're supposed to take the ribbing, take the roast and take it like a man. Um, but if you don't, then you're a pussy, you're weak, you're pathetic. And then we just look down at you. So we beat up on each other as part of our camaraderie. And if you can't take the beating, you're not part of the group. But but, but the beating only goes one way. Yeah, yes. so that's the other thing. It does not go up. It only goes down. No, I was just watching uh, one of the scenes in season four where um, Logan is really nervous because Nan Pierce is now entertaining the bids from the kids. You know, he's getting ready to take over Pierce. Logan is. Um, but he finds out there's another bidder and then he finds out that it's the kids. Well, he needs some entertainment in a moment and he's like come on tell me some jokes you know let's roast me come on roast me and they're all like uh i'm not doing that shit <laughs> but greg does greg's greg says where's your kids uncle logan i mean he gets really mean and it's funny it's like okay yeah and that's what logan wanted he wanted and then logan said mean things back to him you know i've worked with people that have low empathy um personalities. And um, I've gotten to see their frame of mind, you know, from from their perspective. Um, and what I've learned is that for many of them, when they explode on people, when they say mean things and break them down, it actually gives them a boost and they feel better. They feel less stressed uh, and more relaxed. They'll be more emotionally regulated and confident. Um, but you know, like for me, if I, I can get angry to the point where I want to, you know, to somebody out, I mean, you know, that you're my brother. Um, but I don't normally feel that great about it later. You know, I don't usually feel very good about it. I usually feel like I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that, or I went too far, or it, I don't feel better as a result of no, 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 no. I don't have a true sense of relief. Um, but some people do. Some people genuinely feel better. And you can see when I see some people, psychopaths feel better. So when you see Logan in these moments where, you know, he's sort of trying to grab at something that's going to 
you know, he's looking for a coping mechanism, essentially. And the coping mechanism is cruelty, is putting people down. And then, yeah, I'm the man. I feel better. So he is asking to be roasted only to put him in the position of being able to roast someone next. Mm -hmm. So I love that you said that it goes in one way. And when I saw that, I was like, it's interesting that he's asking to be roasted. It's a trap. And it is. <laughs> and it's allowing him to get his steam out. Um, and then he feels better. Okay. So we know that callousness is ex an expectation that you're not going to wear your heart on your sleeve and you're not going to get hurt by the mean things that people say to you. And if you do, then you're a pussy. And I'm saying pussy. <laughs> I shouldn't say pussy. <laughs> um, you are a weakling. Um, but yeah, that's very uh, gendered language that I should probably shift away from at some point. Um, but anyway, so then we also have narcissistic amnesia. Where this is also part of gaslighting. These are another example, like the layers is I don't remember that. That's not what happened. So Kendall remembers when he was nine, he was told that he's the successor. Right. You know? Well, Logan doesn't remember that. Mm -hmm. He just magically does not remember. So there's a lot of gaslighting via this narcissistic amnesia. I have this experience in my life where there's somebody that I have to remind them of the same thing, the same story over and over again. Um, you know, there'll be like a question like, well, da, 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 da. and I'll be like, well, yeah, that was the doctor that we saw. A long time ago and remember the conversation didn't go well and you guys got into like an argument and then um you know we got terminated from that doctor because of that and then um so that's how i were here now this happened like five years ago um oh oh okay yeah yeah well you know i don't know about that doctor blah blah blah, blah. like okay then fast forward next year um okay so now we're gonna go see dr so-and-so well, why don't we see the other doctor anymore Mm -hmm. what 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 do you mean why do we see the other doctor anymore you fully you have to remember what happened it was a very explosive event that took place i remember every detail of those moments and what happened and you're acting like it never even existed narcissistic amnesia keeps that narrative pre-flowing moldable shapeable shiftable you know the um Narcissistic amnesia keeps us away from the truth. It grounds us in fact. It also helps us gaslight others. Um, it really gives the upper hand is like, I just don't remember. Um, even though it's very clear that they would have to remember, but sometimes it seems that they really don't. And I wonder if that's just a version of them like compartmentalizing that truth. You know, we don't focus on truth in fact. So of course I'm not going to remember it because I don't want to remember it because it paints me in a bad light. It paints me in a negative light. It's something that I would have to take responsibility for and I don't want to. So my brain is just not going to retain that information perhaps. So being very charitable there and giving a lot of grace uh, in terms of that malevolent creativity factor and how much of it's purposeful, not purposeful. So you take somebody that say it has a substance use disorder, <laughs> you're probably not going to remember some things. You know, sure. that's not on purpose. That doesn't take away the harm that that does to the people around them. It causes damage that they black out and act in certain ways and then can't take responsibility for it because they flat out don't remember it. But they truly are neurobiologically hijacked by a substance. 
that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone that isn't neurobiologically hijacked, that just doesn't want to remember because it stings the ego. Um, and we all get a little sting to our ego when we make an ass of ourselves. And we'd all love to not remember those moments. Wouldn't that be great? Well, narcissistic people have a way of making that happen. <laughs> okay, now weaponizing information. Weaponizing information. The first thing that comes to mind for me is when people are being mocked. I don't know why, but that that was what comes to the surface first. It's like they're going to take the things, your soft spots, and they're going to learn about you, what makes you tick. And then they're going to poke at those things constantly. So we all know Kendall is a terrible father. We all know that. One of the things that Roman likes to harp on, which is also very funny frequently, Roman likes to make fun of the fact that Kendall is a terrible father. And he makes comments and jokes all the time about like, oh, I'm, you know, look at me, I'm Kendall. I can't even remember the name of my kids. Look mm -hmm. at me, I'm Kendall. I don't even know which room is my daughter's room. Um, you know, like he, they make fun of. So they, they take the things that, okay, another one. Uh, Siobhan at Kendall's birthday party, which was hilarious. Um, you know, she gets wasted and she's pissed because she finds out that she's being left out of this dealing there's so many deals you know like it happens so many times but this particular one she's being left out and we see her down on the dance floor and she's dancing well she's she's dancing in this very like liberated way that she doesn't care what people think you know she's just blowing off steam well instead of being like good for her you know like you never see siobhan lose it or you know be silly or have fun you know like she's never doing things like that um, so what she decided to dance and that she's looking a little silly while she's dancing, but instead they take that moment of her coping. She's in a moment, she's trying to cope, uh, and they weaponize that information and they make fun of her. So again, with the layers, right? Weaponizing information is one way that abusers navigate their targets is learning about their soft spots and what buttons are the buttons we should push. It's true, you know, and uh, a, a more liberal interpretation of that happens quite a bit in the show, too, where people actually have pieces of information and use that against people to, you know, I mean, uh, or, or use it as uh, not even a weapon. Sometimes it's just a tool, you know, to hurt others. So I guess that's what a weapon is. But um, but yeah, that kind of blends right into our next one. Right. It's kind of the same thing a lot. Right. The targeting of the soft spots, uh, figuring out what drives the person, what they really want. You know, like um, we, we, we were texting last night about One Piece on Netflix. And is it Luffy, you know, the main character on that show? His thing is that people have a dream and nothing should get in the way of that dream. And then he helps his crew achieve their dreams. Right. You know, that's what a leader does. When the leader, a good leader finds the soft spots of their supporters or the people that they're leading, they use that to help those individuals or protect them. Protect but, the soft spots, yes. yes. And but to to find out what the soft spots are, those individuals have to be vulnerable at a certain point for us to collect that information. And most abusers will weaponize those moments and use it as leverage over their targets. Um, but I just wanted to mention that Luffy, 
um, Monkey Luffy on One Piece, he does the opposite of that. He finds out their histories, what, why they are the way they are, how they got here, what their heart is, you know, their true heart. And then no matter what people say about those characters, he's like, nope, I know that person. And, you know, they might be acting out of character right now, but I'm still going to have their back. So he basically kind of does the opposite of what we see in succession in the Logan family of weaponizing the soft spots. A good leader and a kind person doesn't weaponize those things or exploit them. But an abuser is going to exploit a vulnerable person or a vulnerable population with any information they can possibly gather. Yes. Last, the last one on the list is wildlife metaphors constant wildlife metaphors. I'm not going to give a lot of examples right now because I encourage you to look for that as you're watching. If you're re-watching or watching for the first time, um, you know, Logan, there's even uh, one of the episodes, the one with Adrian Brody. Um, I think it's called The Lion in the Field or something like this. Um, you know, Logan's the lion, we're in the wild, it's life on the Serengeti. Um, I mean, there's con there's a constant comment on the people and calling them uh, different animals. And what we're seeing is in the wild, there is a pecking order. There's a way things work in the wild. Well, what you're dealing with here is the same kind of thing. You have predators and you have prey and you have an environment in which they operate. And so to me, I don't think that's a mistake. I feel like that 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 is something that was put in there on purpose so that we can see how that these people are eating each other alive, you know, and there is somebody who's the alpha and in charge. Who's OK? Here's the pack of lions. OK, great. Well, who's the most important lion in the lions? Mm -hmm. Right. Of the sharks, who's the biggest shark? Um, and then who are the what are the little creatures that swim alongside the sharks? And they just pick the morsels away from the sharks, the things the shark doesn't eat. There's something else right there ready to eat it, right? Um, so you have those people versions of that, the bottom feeders, right? Like the the wildlife um, metaphors and the ways that we use that to me really shows what's actually happening is that we're, we have people that are out to harm others and they're out to be the alpha, they're out to, you know, step over top of each other. And that's what happens in the wild. Nobody really can complain about being eaten by a lion, really. It's just, that's what the lion does. And you're the antelope, so you're going to get eaten. Just accept it. That's your role. What do you think about that? Did you notice that too? I don't think I did the first time I watched it. So I'll have to, you know, as we go through it here, I'll have to pay attention to that because I'm sure it's there. Um, there's a lot of metaphoric stuff, um, you know, with color that they use on the show and location and, you know, all those kinds of things. So um, I'm sure that there's lots of other stuff like animal metaphors and various other things that uh, I missed on the first time watching. So I'll be interested to check that out as we go through it. Well, I'm going to wrap us up for this episode and for the next episode for our listeners, just so you know, in episode two, we're going to be focusing on Kendall Roy in season one. And that's what we're going to be talking about. The whole episode is just Kendall season one. And then we'll go from there. And Andrew, I just want to thank you so much for doing this with me. It's super fun. I love 
being involved in these kinds of projects with you. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing more. Yeah, any time to uh, any chance to spend more time with you is always a blast, especially when it's something fun like this. So uh, I'm excited to do more and, uh, you know, we'll see what kind of information we can, uh, you know, delve from the life of one young Kendall Roy, because uh, my goodness, the actor that portrays him just knocks it out of the park. It's kind of his coup de gras probably of his entire career. Um, I hope that's not true because I hope that means he's going to have more stuff, but he, he really nails it. And uh, the story and the uh, cycle of abuse that he goes through and, and uses on others is, is uh you know pretty interesting and, and it'll be fun to to look at and kind of heart heartbreaking to look at as well i'm sure so well thank you everyone for listening or watching and we will talk to you next time bye bye